0: First I'd like to apologise because already this morning three people have said how smart I look. Um, can you surely <laughs> that is an accident. I want to tell you about Harold. Harold is retired. He lives with his wife Maureen on the south west coast of England where they don't get on. One day, out of the blue, Harold receives a letter from Queenie, an old friend. She hasn't got long to live. It's cancer. She's in a hospice up in the north of England. Harold writes her a letter and he sets off to the postbox to post it. He could do with the exercise, so he walks past and on to another postbox. And he carries on walking out of the town, along the main road. He keeps walking through hamlets, villages and towns. And a thought dawns on Harold. What if he were to walk all the way to see his dying friend what if he walked all the way through England people take him in they offer him a bed a meal he calls Maureen his wife to explain but he he can't really explain it's just a hunch if he can walk to Queenie he thinks all will be well Harold is not religious but the walk becomes a kind of pilgrimage his story is picked up in the media and he attracts crowds of people Some decide they would like to walk with him. And as they walk, they tell Harold their stories of failure or guilt. And Harold walks on. Now, maybe some of you know this story. It's from a best-selling novel three or four years ago by Rachel Joyce called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. You could call it The Parable of the Letter from the Dying Woman, or the parable of the pair of shoes which walked the length of England. It's longer than Jesus' parables, but it's as powerful as many of them. When Mark, one of the first Christian writers, was organising his life of Jesus, what we now call a gospel, he said, Jesus did not speak to them except in parables. Like most preachers, he was exaggerating. But you see his point. The parables of the generous widow or the great meal that we heard earlier, are among about 40 that Jesus told. Today, as Gary was saying, it's St. Luke's Day, and both of our readings are drawn from Luke's Gospel. Luke was said to be the first artist to paint a portrait of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And if you look at our triptych over there, the big orange triptych in three parts, you'll see Luke painting Mary. And Mary is shown holding a ball of wool, knitting And that's a reference to the belief that God's son was knit together in her womb. When Luke was making her gospel, she records Jesus' story about the prodigal son. Maybe it should be called the parable of the forgiving parent. And the one about a shepherd and the lost sheep. And the one about a woman who loses a silver coin and throws a party when she finds it. After that, there's one about a woman in a bakery at the back of Morrison's, noticing how the bread rises And there's one about the pensioner who forgets her online banking password until a stranger in an Indian call centre explains how to access her current account again. You may not know those parables, but then, as Jesus used to say, it's all about having ears to hear. Women are everywhere in Luke's Gospel. That's one of the reasons that some people say maybe Luke might have been a woman herself. There's Mary Magdalene, Martha, Mary of Bethany, and the great Annunciation song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke mentions a female prophet, and he sees the details of life from a woman's perspective, preparing meals, pregnancy, menstruation. And she always notes how women are the first to care for Jesus, to talk with him, to believe in him. But in a patriarchal society that's been the template of world history until a few minutes ago, The only way a woman could have made a gospel would be by disguising her identity as a man, calling herself Luke, for example. It was the same idea that Mary Ann Evans had in the 19th century, writing under a male name to make sure her novels would be noticed. The author of Middlemarch called herself George Eliot. The idea that Luke, the gospel author, was a woman is so unthinkable that history has disallowed us from thinking it. It would be like believing Jesus could heal a child or feed a great crowd. Theology, like history, is mostly the record of men, and it takes imagination to think the author of one of the four Gospels cooked the family meals, had periods, carried children. It also takes some imagination to think of God as a mother, when we were always told she was a father. Maybe Luke's feminine perspective informed her Gospel in other ways, like the way that she says salvation is for everyone, not just for the Jews. Most early followers of Jesus assumed that this new movement they were part of was basically Judaism having a kind of house-church split. They didn't realize that the doors of the house were being taken off so that anyone could be invited in. Luke also emphasizes social justice like no one else in the New Testament. She records how Jesus warns those of us with material abundance of our responsibility to the poor. She notes how he attacks discrimination against minority groups, such as lepers, or foreigners, or even tax collectors. She shows how Jesus saw the divine in women. Like that first tiny parable that Gary read earlier, it stars a widow, someone poor and powerless, no partner to support her, overlooked, uncelebrated. While everyone in the temple is looking at the influencers, the well-known, the well-connected, Jesus notices that this uninfluential person is the really generous woman. She's giving a lot of her, not very much, while so many are giving a little of their, quite a bit. Or that other story about food and hospitality that Justin read, about banquets and parties. Jesus invites us to consider the mark of a divine party. It's not the quality of the wine or the pedigree of the guest list, It's the unexpected gathering, the diversity and inclusivity. The divine party, the divine community, includes leavers and remainers, young and old, includes black people, brown people, white people, includes those fallen on hard times who can't return the invitation. The divine community includes those whose abilities are over-celebrated and those whose abilities are rarely recognized. The divine party includes those who rarely get invited out, but this time they are in the good seats. And those who are honoured a lot, they are invited this time to sit at the back. Luke, our patron saint here in Holloway, loves telling stories of Jesus. Farmers, fishmongers, builders, and shopkeepers, hedge fund managers, and high tech consultants, poets, and politicians. A parable is peppered with everyday characters, but there's a twist in the tale. It's about how the presence of God becomes present, or why we pray, or how often we must forgive, or what is the meaning of love. Parables are like poems. The meaning is in the mind of the listener. They make you wonder. God's home is like a seed squashed under a size 11 Doc Martin boot, Nobody knows that one day it will be a great tree offering shade and shelter to your grandchildren. A parable throws your mind off track, catches you unawares, and the parables of Jesus still happen all around us. Luke understands that people remember stories, and the ones that we remember most are the stories where we become our own parable. Sometimes we see the parable, sometimes we are the parable assigned to someone else of the divine compassion, the divine justice, the divine peace, the divine grace. Notice this morning your fellow travelers on the way of faith and look for the parable that they tell, the generous one, the forgiving one, the one who includes, the one who listens, the one who does not put themselves first. Sometimes, like Harold Fry on his eccentric walk through England, we can't quite explain what we are doing or why, but other people seem to think we're onto something, so we welcome them as they join us. Or we are all leaves on a tree like that one on our new altar cloth, each week a reminder to live more kindly on God's good earth, to be generous, welcome, open, hospitable. And a gift like today throws up its own kind of parable. A community of people were wondering how they could be better friends with the earth from which they came and on which they walked. This earth had been such a good friend for so long, reliable and constant, that they'd come to take her for granted. Lately they noticed she was struggling for breath, choking, she was sweating, she had a permanent high temperature, she was behaving strangely, not quite herself. The people had to admit they were responsible. They'd been living as if Earth was disposable, like a phone, replaceable like a pair of shoes. It was when they understood that they were part of the problem that they realised they also were part of the solution. Someone said, hang on, this is a church, and churches have big south-facing roofs. Someone else said, yes, and so far sunlight is still free. What if we created a green roof with an array of solar panels, a roof that generates some of the energy we use in this place and lightens our footprint on our friend, the earth, as well as our bills? That would be like a parable, said someone else, because on a good day, isn't the whole idea of church about light, about warmth, about good energy? A parable of the gift day, although... You might think of a better one. Thank you.